always. Always afterwards. They disappeared round the bend in the drive, and for a while peace reigned among the slumbering trees and the rolling hills beyond. Then a colony of rooks rose up with much flapping of wings and raunchous cries and became black, wheeling of shadows against the clouded sky. That is the end of the story. See? I told you. Don't you feel better now that you've read me a story? I feel better. Absolutely not. Are you joking? I... I... Doesn't change the fact that I still found Marcus's hand this morning on our porch. Ooh, yeah. Um, what you know what I think will make you feel better? Uh, howdy, y'all, and welcome to Horror Boys, the only horror podcast hosted by boys. I'm Bobby, and joining me, of course, is my good friend Chuck. Are you kidding me right now? We literally just found out that Marcus might have went the way of fucking, like, Chet... Alexis, Clarence, your sister? Do you wanna do you wanna obsess about that, or do you wanna try and have a normal conversation and maybe learn some useful skills and information that might help us uh, in this situation that you're so stressed about? Because I don't know what else you want to do at this point. I mean, we haven't had lunch yet. That might make me feel better. Can't have lunch yet. We already started recording. We read a short story this time in prose form. And uh, it was called The Shadmock by R. Chetwin Hayes. So that's a very authory ass author name. Chetwin Hayes? And he's got an initial on there? Which could stand for anything. Sure, okay, fine. First off, it stands for Ronald. Oh, that's kind of disappointing, if I'm being honest. I, I, I guess it's okay. It's better than if it was, like, Robert. I don't understand how your ranking of names work. Um, it's all about the feel, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, I can't really explain it. It's all very intuitive, it's like jazz. Okay, uh, Nobody knows how jazz works. Sure. Alright, well I guess if we're doing this, uh, Ronald's- Fun fact about Ronald, Chetwin Hayes, I guess you'd appreciate this. He was known as Britain's Prince of Chill. That's an incredible title. And that's that meant more like chill, not like modern definition chill, but like definition of to chill someone, to like make someone cold and rattle to their core. Yeah, like it's chilling, like it's scary, not chill like he's a groovy dude who can't be hassled. Yeah. But he could have been. And he wrote over 200 short stories just like this one that we found uh, included in the Mammoth Book of Monsters that we also found. Or, well, you found and shoved in my hands and told me to read you a story. Yes. Uh, yeah, there were a bunch of uh, stories in there, but this, this is actually, uh, despite being uh, Britain's Prince of Chill... This was one of the few writers in this book that I hadn't actually ever heard of, uh, which I guess is a real blind spot in my horror literature knowledge. Well, I mean, he's not as well-known a name as, like, H.P. Lovecraft or Clive Barker, but uh, he has a lot under him, and he also has two anthology movies that include From Beyond the Grave in 1974 and The Monster Club in 1980. 
neither of which I've seen, but would have liked would have liked to. I haven't seen either of them yet, yet. But someday I will, for sure, for definitely, for sure. Okay. Uh, what did you think of this story? I like this story. I think it's a really good. It's short, but you know that comes with the territory of short stories. It's like approximately thirty-ish pages. I don't know the exact number. But I, I liked it. I, I guess I, if we're rating it, I guess I'd give it like an eight out of ten. Yeah, I dug it too. I think there are a couple of moments of kind of um, clunky exposition, especially super early on in this story, when our protagonist is arriving at the uh, spooky ooky mansion that the story is going to take place in. Her husband just like tells her his life story, despite the fact that she almost certainly would know it already. But, like, other than that... She's a dame. She doesn't listen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he does, like, pay lip service to, like, this guy's just being condescending. He's mansplaining himself to his wife, I guess, which, you know, I guess that works. Yeah, I think that the, the kind of horror that this trades in is much more... It's, it's the horror of, like, despair. It's about, like, setting up a situation that seems inescapable. Less than it is jarring you with, like, shocks and scares which is fine like i feel like that's probably a better goal for someone that's writing like prose horror than to try and replicate the kind of like sudden jump scare of like a campfire story or like a horror movie this is another like story where you can kind of interpret that it's like sets up this universe where like monsters exist and there's like all these different species and types that happen over crossbreeding between them but it's also like you can interpret that humans are also a category of monster and we're not exempt from that yeah so like to get into what actually happens in the story yeah why don't um why don't oh fucking christ what we're doing the podcast sure why don't why don't you explain the story to whoever the fuck is listening uh yes our listeners I'll explain to them. So uh, the story is about this mean yuppie named Sheridan Croxley and his wife Carolyn. He is the son of a cowherd and he has purchased the manor of the nobleman that his dad used to work for. He's taking his wife there so that he can, I, I guess, basically rub it in his own face that he's successful. That seems to be his main motivation here. And they arrive. The manor already has uh, servants who have been like, just hanging out there, I guess, for the last 20 years, uh, while there hasn't been, like, an owner of the manor. And they're all very creepy and seem to have some sort of, you know, otherworldly characteristics about them. Carolyn and Sheridan are supposed to have dinner with the local preacher, which this part slightly confused me because I guess, like, colloquially, he refers to, uh, Sheridan refers to the preacher as the local air pilot. Yeah, that would, that confused me as well. Yeah, I've never heard that before, and I thought that, like, an old, like, Royal Air Force pilot was coming to have dinner with them. Uh, but no, it's a preacher. And he shows up and is basically, like, he, at first he's just kind of, like, cryptic and eccentric. And then over the course of the dinner, he's like, hey, monsters, one, monsters are real. Two, all of this, the servants in the manor are monsters. And he brings up this thing that you alluded to, that, like, monsters are basically just other 
species of intelligent life that humanity competed with for dominance of the planet who didn't go away and just kind of like moved into the shadows. Uh, and they've interbred. And so you've got your classic monsters, your vampires, werewolves, and ghouls specifically. And the interbreeding of them results in like a bunch of other monsters. And what are relevant to this story specifically are the mock, the maddie, the shaddy, and the shadmock. And so they all have specific powers related to, like, basically related to a thing you do with your mouth. Uh, let me see if I can find them specifically. Yeah, Shaddy's lick, Maddie's yawn, Mock's blow, Shadmock's only whistle. And another um, point of contention in this book with the whole, like, pilot preacher thing was that the character that we eventually come to know as a Shaddy is also sometimes referred to as a ratty, and that, like, happens, like, a bunch, and apparently they just have the same lick power, even though they're slightly different. And uh, I, mean, I think it might just be a different name for the same thing. No, they specifically go out of their way to, like, identify the ancestry and how the ancestry is slightly different. Oh, okay. But, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, there's this, all this complex interbreeding of, like, like a werewolf and a ghoul makes like a were-goo and there's a vam-goo and a vam-goo and a were-goo make a blah, blah, blah. And he goes like all over this like lineage of these monsters. But what's important are the um, the gatekeeper at the manor, who is like the the grandfather of the butler, is a shaddy. The butler is a mock. His wife is a maddie. And then their offspring is a shadmock. So the preacher tells them all this and Carolyn kind of believes him and Sheridan doesn't. And then the preacher leaves and dies under mysterious circumstances. We also find out that the owner of the manor also died under mysterious circumstances, falling off of a ladder, uh, not a ladder, a stairwell. So the shaddy is like a super strong old man. The mock is like, a really tall butler with large ears and big hair, which we find out later is concealing horns. The Maddie is a bearded woman. And the Shadmock is a super attractive young man. And Carolyn is like immediately entranced by him to Sheridan's chagrin. And then they go to bed and Carolyn is like super scared because she's in a creepy mansion full of monsters and she goes out of her bed and sees uh the shaddy and the mock returning from like the hunt with like burnt rabbits and like carcasses and she comes to realize that they are definitely actually monstrous and then i feel like i'm missing a middle part well what happens next i think at that point like there's she sees like a little bit of the family dynamic because it's like when Sheridan goes to sleep and she's like not able to mm. sleep. So she goes out to the window. She sees the shaddy or the ratty carrying like a sheep carcass. She sees the mock carrying a bunch of rabbits that are like singed. And then apparently she sees Marvin who just has some like vegetables. And the mock and the shaddy or the ratty make fun of him. Or, like, have some sort of argument, and then he, like, you know, shuts them down. 
And uh, yeah. then she eventually does go to bed, or she spends the whole night in terror. Uh, and then they wake up and they have breakfast. Or at least she wakes up and sees that Sheridan already went down to breakfast. Yeah. And then she basically spends the day with Marvin, the Shadmok, who is gardening. And we find out that he's growing something called Cortopes, which are like, he describes them as meat and veg plants that like grow out of mutilated corpses. And she's like, oh, this guy's hot, but also he's like definitely also a monster too. Like at first she's like entertaining this idea that maybe he's like, because I guess because he's hot. He's not as monstrous as the rest of his family. But when she hears him talking about the process of growing the Cortopes and the way that he chops up the corpses and stuff, she realizes that he's also a monster. Well, the way that like it describes her attraction to him is very vampiric. Like It's like very, like, she's drawn under his spell. Yeah, she's, like, mesmerized. Yeah, she, like, goes out of her way to, like, say that she's, like, helpless. And, like, she's not really in control of her body and her desire for him. Which yeah, isn't great, I guess, for mm, a portrayal of no. a woman who isn't able to control her own self. Yeah. So, but then upon the after the conversation about the Cortopes, she like goes to Sheridan and is like, "Hey, they're monsters. We need to leave." And then the rest of the family shows up and they're like, "Hey, we're monsters, and you can't leave." Not before, like, when she says, hey, they're monsters, we need to leave. Sheridan's basic response is poppycock, more or less. He still doesn't believe her. Uh, But then they show up and they're like, yeah, no, we are actually monsters. And uh, no, you're not allowed to leave. And so he gets, um, (laughs) he gets licked by the shaddy, which, like, cuts his arm to the bone. And then the mock blows on him, which, like, burns him. And then... They take him up to the his bedroom and, like, put him to bed. And Car- Carolyn ends up talking to Marvin again, I think. No, she... At some point, she gets into Sheridan's room. And it's trying to get him to leave. And the butler shows back up and is like, Hey, my wife's gonna come yawn on this guy soon. <laughs> and then she does that. And it takes his soul. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more or less along the lines of, like, uh, if it pleases you, my wife's going to do this yawning at, like, 8 o'clock or whatever. And then she comes in at 8 o'clock and does the yawn. She's the Maddie, which means yeah. that her yawn has the ability to kill or possess, according to the preacher. Mm. Uh, but it actually does a third thing, and it's explained to Carolyn after... She, like, yawns on her husband with her gaping mouth, and he just falls on the bed and just passes out. That he was de-souled? Just completely, like, loses his soul. Yeah, which is, like, the beginning of him becoming a monster. Because they want to basically, like, use him as a face to maintain their place at the mansion. And then possibly also... To increase their station by sending him off to be in Parliament. Another similarity to when we went over the vampire stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, monsters in government. Yeah, so he's becoming a monster and she's like completely alone. And she goes to Marvin and to try to get him to protect her. And the promise he basically makes is like, if you agree to help me in the garden then I will get angry if they try to eat you. Which they probably will do, because that's usually what they do. 
They don't ever de-soul a woman, make her into a monster. They usually just eat them. And then she's told that they're going to drain her at like 8 o'clock. Again, it's like presented very formally and politely. But it is like, hey, you're going to die. And then they're going to do that. And Sheridan is like totally on board. He's like, ah, I'm hungry and I want power. And I don't think I'm going to fully be a monster until I eat you. And then Marvin shows up and gets angry and whistles so hard that it like splits everybody's eardrums and shoots a beam of light out of his mouth. And he overpowers everybody. And first he gets in a fight with Sheridan who's like, hey, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'm a monster now. And I was a jerk before. I'm going to punch you. And he punches them and, and everybody's like, that was stupid. He's much more powerful than you. And then he does the whistling thing and he kowtows everyone into submission and is allowed to keep Carolyn on as his assistant in the garden. Uh, and then she's stuck there forever. And that's basically the end of the story. Yeah, I mean, there was the point when, after Sheridan punched him, that he just kills Sheridan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Sheridan's dead. But he his whistling effect doesn't kill the other monsters. It just rattles them or something or other. But they submit to his wishes, and now Carolyn is stuck forever being the gardener's assistant. And it implies that just like her husband, Marvin will be incredibly abusive and he can't help it. Yeah, he says like, oh, I, I won't... I, he like, tries to be like, I'm not going to get angry with you. And then he's like, well, I definitely will get angry with you. But I'm always sorry afterwards. This is very sinister. Yeah. But yeah, they, they also plant Sheridan in the garden. Yes. So that's... A real low point for me, just in general. I mean, I guess, like, it's the horror of domestic life, maybe, is the point. But the moral, or not the moral, the baseline of the story is that Carolyn basically leaves one abusive relationship for another, which is not great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's not great. I don't think it's necessarily... It's not like it's portrayed as being her fault, per se. Like, she's... She, does, she doesn't choose to be brought into the situation at the manor, and she goes to Marvin because it's, like, the only thing she can do at that point, or at least as far as she can tell. Um, right. I but, mean, it's still fucked up, but, like... But then it, at that, least it, that tracks back to the no agency thing, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, she had no agency in coming there. She had no agency in her attraction to Marvin. She has no agency in her becoming his assistant, and then also... Entering another abusive relationship. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think um, I think there's a story about class. That's the reading that makes the most sense to me. Where it's like, Sheridan is like lower class and he thinks that he's risen up. But there's this like whole other world that's like obsessed with breeding and lineage that exists behind the world that he knows. He sees these people as being like ridiculous and pathetic. Like they're servants and they're lower than him. But they've got this entrenched, ingrained generational power. So when he tries to, like, enter that world, he becomes a tool for them. And he doesn't realize that his, like, station is actually much lower. Like, when he punches Marvin, he's like, Grantley, that's the butler, the mock, Marvin's dad, is like, he, don't you see that he's angry? And Sheridan's like, I'm angry too. And he says something like, the rage of a fly is not comparable to the rage of a lion. And they, when it becomes clear that he's not useful to them, he is destroyed. And his wife, who was, like, on equalish terms with him, but still, like, lower status, 
is then moved into a relationship where she's completely subservient to the like heir of this legacy of monstrosity. I mean, I wouldn't call her equal status. I would call her subservient status this whole time. She, it's heavily implied that she's already in an abusive relationship where he hits her. And he eloquently refers to her as his little slut behind closed doors. Yeah, that part's really bad. And also is implied that she's a masochist and that she's has desire for Sheridan because she loves, like, hate sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no, all that stuff's pretty bad. So I wouldn't call that equal footing. Yeah, but they're, like, the same class. It's, like, he's abusive and bad, but it's, like, ostensibly, in their previous, like, version of the relationship, she could, like, walk out of the house. But now she's a tool to the, like, entrenched old upper-class air now right it does get worse for her but i just she doesn't start off good i mean in in general it's just the idea of like i said before it kind of ties in the whole woman at the at the center of the story being out of control of the situation and being abused from either side implies the theme of humanity is just another category of monster that we're ignoring Mm-hmm. All this talk about the inter themes kind of bummed me out. Why don't you talk about, like, a high point you had or something, Bobby? Hmm. What is the high point? I like the, like, implied world of the... I like the idea of the, like, that monsters aren't necessarily... They're, like, something that has always existed alongside humanity. The idea that they're, like... You know, uh, that, like, a vampire is kind of like a Neanderthal. They were something else that could have been the dominant life form, but that's, like, still around. A lot of monster folklore comes from sort of, like, ancestral memories of this competitor species. I really dug that. Yeah, I like that, too. I like the idea. Like, the preacher kind of, like, talked about, like, how people came from monkeys, and I thought it might be better if, like, the dominant species came from, like, cats or whatever. I like the idea that, like... Yeah, vampire just basically came from, like, bats and werewolves from dogs and ghouls from... Corpses? Corpses, I guess. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work out too well. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I like that idea. Also, um, the story starts off with uh, the basic rules of monsterdom. Like, a little thing. And uh, it says that vampires suck. Werewolves mm. hunt. Ghouls tear. Shaddy's lick, Maddie's yawn, Mox blow, and Shad Mox only whistle. I just, uh, I love the idea, again, using more modern terminology that vampires are just like, hey, sup? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like that. I like the powers too. It's They're so strange where it's like the, the image of just like a guy blowing air on you and it's like peeling your skin off is very unsettling. And the like, the tension of like, we don't see the whistling until the very end. But we know it's supposed to be worse than everything else. Because, like, there's this continued refrain that the preacher brings up that Carolyn remembers several times where it's like, when a Shadmok whistles, abandon all hope. Or something. It's part of a rhyme. It's worded differently than that. But that, like, the, the ticking clock tension of, like, this thing's gonna whistle. And it's like, whistling is such, like, an innocuous, non-threatening thing. But the idea that it's like, I like the idea of structuring a story so that we spend the whole time worrying about when is someone going to whistle. 
Yeah, for sure. In addition to the monster lore, I also just like like the rich descriptions. I think the writer is very eloquent in certain areas. Like the maybe the central theme of a woman being an object and the slut stuff is bad for sure. But mm-hmm. something I really a quote I really liked was uh, when they talk about Sheridan getting desold. My wife has erased what is commonly called the soul, and the gentleman will be able to develop his natural abilities without the hindrance of a conscious. Yeah. It feels very well written in that aspect. Like, very rich. I like that. I also like the thing where it's like, they've been just been doing this forever. It's very matter of fact. Like, to her, this is like the scariest situation anyone's ever been in. And to the monsters there, if this is just like part of the process of maintaining their existence this is like filing their taxes yeah that like comes with the whole if it would please you my wife will yawn at you at like uh, such and such <laughs> time like yeah it's like it's very of like oh this is just a thing we have to do the description of her yawning is really unsettling too where like her mouth just opens impossibly wide to the point where like the top of her mouth starts to cover like her nose and the upper half of her face and she just becomes this like black hole with teeth yeah, and she's she's also, like, supposed to be, like, the the thing with her is that, like, the, the weird feature in her is that she's a beard, right? But the way the book describes her is that she's supposed to be, like, buxom beauty, just with a beard. Well, yeah, also her beard is described as being, like, flowing and luxurious. Like, it's not just that she has a beard, but she has, like, a beautiful beard. Yeah, the creatures aren't, well, Grantly... The mock and his dad, the shaddy or the ratty, are supposed to be like grotesque. But Marvin and the wife of Grantley, which she's not really given a name either, but Mrs. Grantley, they're supposed to be like pretty good looking. Uh, yeah. Also, a very strong old man is scary in general. An old man who's strong enough to like tear an iron gate off the hinges. Spooky. Plus, the lick, uh, it reminded me a lot of um, Left for Dead. With, like, uh, the... What was it? The Smoker? Yeah, the Smoker. Because they couldn't be called Liquors, because that's a Resident Evil thing. Right, right. Liquors are just, like, these, like, flesh goop monsters that, like, go on all fours Mm. with lots of teeth and no eyes. But the Smoker had that, like, long-ass tongue that grabbed your player character. Yeah. And... The shaddy, again, or the ratty, it's confusing which one it's supposed to be, but I guess it, they both have the same power. With that just long-ass tongue that licks the flesh off your bones is literally terrifying. Like, that's a very apt description of something that feels unique, and at the same time is like, Jesus Christ. Holy cow. I don't want to encounter that at all. Uh, I agree. It sounds bad. I feel like I've already talked about my low points with this. Did you? Do you have low yeah, points? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how much more there is to cover besides the stuff we've already said. Like even like the other low point I would have is the the exposition thing, which I already talked about, which isn't you know, not even that big a deal. Yeah. Did you rate this? No, I didn't. I think I would give this a seven. Okay. Probably. I think in my idea of how i'd rate this like it's short is a negative but it's also a positive i Mm. would like to know more about the story and have like more background of what's going on 
and also maybe give Carolyn more agency. But it's also like, I guess, a positive because like maybe the whole point is to show that Carolyn has no agency. And that's the horror. Yeah, I think what the story would benefit from if I have to play backseat driver is I think you can still If you're backseat driver, can I be baby driver? Yeah, and I'll be the boss baby. So in this situation, we're both baby. Yeah, we're both baby. This is... Welcome to horror babies. (laughs) I feel like there's a problem with both of us where we both just want to be the same thing. (laughs) Well, baby driver's not a baby. Let's be real. He's a man. I mean, he's a baby compared to everyone else that he's driving, I guess. He's the youngest. Yeah. I love the part in Baby Driver where John Hamm is, like, dying and he's like, You're a baby. You've been baby this whole time. Anyway, if I was going to play Backseat Driver, <laughs> I would say that you could have basically the ending and that feeling of, like, the lack of agency. But I think you could play that for more horror by having her try and fail to do things. Like, make her more active, but just as stymied. Where it's, like, about her, like, up against this cold, unfeeling world. And as much agency as she wants to have, they're just simply not going to let her have it. And I think that would have... Made the story a little bit scarier, probably, and would have made her a more compelling character. I completely agree. But I think that, I, I wonder if maybe that was the goal and it was just the constraint of the length. Keeps you from adding, like, these extra sequences where she tries and fails to escape or defeat them or something. Right. I mean, it just comes with, like, the time the story was created, I'm sure, where they were publishing it to, like, weird tales or what have you. Again, mm. like, similarly to, like, H.P. Lovecraft and all the writers of that time period where it's there's these stories that are like maybe meant to be short or they were like given like, hey, you can only use 1500 words or something like that. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think I, I get what you're saying. I agree with that. But yeah, I think in terms of like as far as like a spooky short story goes, this is just a solid one. I mean, they're, they're all going to any story from around this time or in this genre, you're going to find basically the same problems. So it's like if you can deal with that, it's pretty good. Yeah, also, it's unique. It's not something that, like, you... It's, like, like it's not just, like, a, like vampire, werewolf, ghoul. It, like, combines them all into something that's a little bit unheard of and goes out of its way to make that unheard of thing memorable and scary. Yeah, that's another thing I like, that it's not just, like, Underworld, where it's, like, the werewolf and the vampire hybrid is just... It's a werewolf that could turn into a bat. Like, Ugh, they're... I hate that movie. The, 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 the monster genes mixed together and just make a new kind of monster. It's not like something that's like has the powers of a werewolf and the collar of a vampire. Yeah, or like the alien predator hybrid thing where it's just like, oh, it has the dreads of a predator but the mouth of an alien. Yeah, exactly. Cuz that's what you inherit is the dreads. <laughs> yeah, the dreads of our forefathers. <laughs> Uh, but he, you wanna? Yeah, I, I like that uh, having like the adding to the lore. I think is very key and probably makes it, the story very noteworthy. I wish I had a chance to see the movie because that would, probably would have been good. Uh, sure. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we do a threat assessment? Oh, I'm gonna threat co. Where the threats go? Okay. Uh, well, we have four or five different monsters to deal with yeah we got we got a whole punnet square of monsters so uh, let's start with the dad the mock no no 
The Shaddy. Grantley's dad is either a Shaddy, which is a were-vampire plus a were-ghoul, or were-goo, as the story entails, or a Ratty, which is a were-vampire plus a vampire-ghoul, or a vam-goo. Either way, he is tensely strong, has no teeth, just completely black gums, and a whip-like tongue that can lick the flesh right off your bones. Terrifying. Yeah, that's all pretty bad. Because uh, it's he's extre- extremely powerful, like it, it's strong. So if you get up close, he'll, he can just beat the shit out of you. But if you're far away, he can just whip you with that tongue. We're not really given like any specifics about how long his tongue is. But it like reaches across the room and drinks your milkshake. Yeah, and... Uh, by which I mean your flesh. <laughs> uh, we don't know how long the room is either. So, like, this is supposed to be some sort of manor. So the room could be either, like, a hallway or, like, a huge foyer. We don't know. I say we assume it can reach pretty fucking far. Cool. That's what I was afraid you'd say. Here's the other thing. They don't really give uh Well, let's talk about the other ones, and, the, and then I'll get to what I was about to say. Okay, the next one we should talk about is his son, Grantley, uh, which is the mock. This is the mock. Who yeah. is the seed of a shaddy or ratty and a maddy. So his mother was also similar to the woman that he married. Ain't that how it always goes? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> he has horns under his wild hair, which he doesn't really use. They're more just like a body horror thing. Uh, and but he could use them. Has the ability to blow the skin from your face. Yeah, when Sheridan is trying to, still after he's been attacked, trying to justify that they're not monsters, the explanation he gives for how he could have done this is that he spat acid on him. Uh, so it, we know that it feels like acid. We are, again, not given a range for this, but he also does do it basically from across the room. He also does it in, like, a very subdued way at first. Like, when he doesn't, he's not trying to, like, blow the skin off of Sheridan's face at first because they need Sheridan. So he just kind of does, like, a, a like, from across yes. the room, just like, a, just like a quick breath. And that apparently knocks Sheridan off his gate. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Everyone except for... Marv, is it Marvin or Martin? Marvin, the Martian. Marvin. Every, well, no, he's a Shadmok. Everyone except for Marvin is using their powers without intent to kill to try and do this, like, ritual on Sheridan to turn him into a monster. So we don't even really see their full combat capacity. No, which is terrifying. Because what they yeah. already do to Sheridan is terrifying. Yep. Agreed. Uh, he's also just really big. That's the other thing about Grantley. He's, he's like his father, very large. But we don't know if he's strong or not. No, but I mean, probably. Probably. Uh, and then we have Mrs. Grantley, who is a Maddie, and she is the combination of a were-ghoul and a vamp-ghoul, and has that yawn, which the book says to kill or possess, but in utility, she souls somebody so maybe it's all three or maybe the preacher was confused we don't know okay so my interpretation is that it's it can kill 
And I think that desouling and possessing is the same thing. I think from the outside, the desouling looks like possessing because the person just becomes like an evil monster after that. So I think she can kill or just take your soul out. Well, the range on her is like she had to like be on top of you. Like, yeah, she like opens her gaping maw and then like stands like next to Sheridan and then like puts her entire mouth on his body to be able to do the desouling. So at least at least you can keep your distance from her, I guess. Yeah, that's good. I guess. Also, we have no idea what her strength is. Her job was kitchen. She's a good cook. Yeah, you know that again feels very like woman in her place sort of writing style, which sucks. But, I don't know, doesn't say anything about anything else that she has powers for besides the Yawn. Yeah. But the Yawn's pretty scary. Yawn is pretty scary. That leads us to Marvin, which is a Shadmok, which comes from a Mock and a Matty. Uh, you think it would come from a Mock and a Shaddy, just because of the name, but no. It's from a Mock and a Matty, specifically. It's not a, it's not a Mad Mock, yeah. it's a Shadmok. Yeah, that's weird. You're right. Because the other names are set up like that, like Weragu and Vamgu. That's like werewolf ghoul and vampire ghoul. Mm-hmm. So he should he should be a mad mock or a mock mad or a mock D. Mock D. But he's a shad mock. He can whistle. I assume the range on this is like audible, right? Like it affects you as long as you can hear it. I guess. Uh, the book doesn't really have a character cover their ears and tell us otherwise. So we don't know. But when he whistles, like some sort of lightning energy comes out of his mouth and goes across an entire room from the doorway to the window where the other monsters are trying to escape. Yeah, he has like a laser. Yeah, <laughs> so again, pretty ranged. Yeah, it seems this seems hard to escape. I I would I don't really know what you would do. If it's not, I mean you cover your ears but then you're just going to get shot with a laser. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, Marvin the character is very interested in gardening. But it's portrayed as, like, not a species thing, just, like, his eccentricity. That's not... His eccentric... Eccentricity. That's what Thank you. So, I don't know if, like, other Shadmocks have other things they do. Yeah, I guess there's no real, real reason to believe that he likes gardening because of his subspecies, I guess. Is that kind of a... Spe- it's like a... Mu- is a mule a different species from a horse and a donkey, or is it just a subspecies of both? It's a subspecies of both, as far as I am. As far as I know, I mean, I could be using a wrong classification, but it's not a different species, because species implies the ability to breed, and ah. mules can't breed. But these hybrids can breed, though. Yeah, so there's no, like, hybrid locking mechanism, as there is with animals like the liger or the mule. Where there's like there is a species intertwined that creates these other species. I don't know what I mean. They didn't again the, when this story was written. It probably didn't know that like mules couldn't become their own species. But same time, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea either. And then they're not in the story, but obviously to facilitate the existence of this, these monsters, there must in the world be vampires, werewolves, and ghouls. And we also don't know what Vamgoos and Weragoos are like, but those also exist. Yes. What I also love about this nomenclature is that a ghoul marrying a ghoul and having a ghoul child is just a goo-goo. A goo-goo? 
<laughs> a were-were, a vam-vam, and a goo-goo are just the OG horror monsters. Which I should probably start using to refer to them, because it makes them way less scary. Yeah, well, well here's the question. What came first, the ghoul or the goo-goo? <laughs> They're the same thing. <laughs> Again, it's so weird that, like, the basic monsters are things that descended from bats, things that descended from wolves, things that descended from corpses. I mean, they have to be something else. It has. It's, maybe it's, like, vultures or something. Because like, a ghoul, I don't know, like, in my mind, right, a ghoul is, a, is like a zombie that eats corpses, right? Yeah, that's what I think of. Yeah, I don't know. Did you ever see Motel Hell? No. It's a horror comedy that's not good at either, but it has this premise where they're planting bodies that become separate monsters, and it, this story just made me think of that. Hmm. So, let's, we've, we've gone over the threats. Let's do a survivability analysis. Would we survive in this situation? Bobby, I don't think I need to explain to you, or anyone, after everything we just described, how you, and I, specifically, would not survive this. Any of them. That's a good point. But what if we didn't just immediately die? <laughs> How would could we survive this? Uh, fuck. Well, first off, off the bat, we've got some don't go to Alaska style preventative measures. You mean you um, mean don't be rich? Don't be rich. Don't have servants and or buy an old house with iron gates. Yes. Yeah. That's literally exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> Great, helpful, uh, thanks, that's, yeah, sure, I wasn't going to do that anyway. You could also just avoid being around people entirely so that you know for sure you're not around anyone that might be a secret monster. Now, the problem with that is that if a monster does just show up, you won't have anyone around to help you or record a podcast with. So that's maybe not the best preventative measure. Yeah, or be friends with people that are bald so you know they don't have horns. That's why you work as a perfect example, Bobby. I definitely don't have horns, that's true. Uh, see, the thing with that I was going to say when we were talking about the, the threat assessment is this story doesn't really give us any weaknesses. There's allusions to it. Uh, there's a part where Carolyn passes out and Grant Lee, like, puts her back in her chair and, like, pushes the chair in so that she doesn't fall out again. And the narrator is like, this is why, despite certain weaknesses, Grantley's make excellent manserv... Not Grantley's. Mocks make excellent manservants. I love the idea that the monster class is just Grantly. <laughs> <laughs> you know your classic Grantly situation. Now, those weaknesses could be weaknesses as manservants. They don't necessarily have to be weaknesses as a monster. But we don't really learn what any of their weaknesses are. I mean, we can kind of assume that traditional vampire and werewolf rules apply to some extent to them, but we're giving no indication that that is definitely the case. We know they have to eat with some regularity, and that if they don't, they'll presumably die or at least weaken. But we're not given any, like, silver bullet type, like, this will definitely kill them type information. Yeah. Uh, another thing we could do is, I guess, find someone who is a preacher and hang around with them. And when they're like, hey, you know that dude's a monster? We just listen to them and just bounce. Yeah. And then hope that preacher doesn't die by biking accident. 
Yeah, they're very good at throwing people off of high places. So don't go to any high places. Don't bike near a cliff. Don't walk upstairs. Again, these are preventative measures and not direct actionable tactics. Um, hide and try to starve them out. Uh, don't be... Oh, here's one. Say it with me now. Don't be horny. She spends a lot of time being horny when she could have been thinking of ways to escape. Look, Bobby, you, out of all people, know that if you saw someone as handsome as Marvin, you'd be all over them, too. Uh, I mean, I would run away, because I'm very shy. <laughs> but, like, there's... Well, how many of them are there? There's Grandfather, Grantley, Marvin. Four. There's four of them. They're in a huge estate. It's called a grange, which I don't necessarily know what a grange is, but I assume it's a large mass of land. They can't possibly be watching all vectors of egress at all times. So if she could control her horniness, she could probably have slipped away and tried to make some kind of escape. Now, they're hunters, though. At least the shaddy is. So they'll probably just track her down if she starts running away. But I think that, like, a stealthy approach is maybe best here. It's not so much about how do we kill them, but about just, like, how do we get so far away that it is inconvenient for them to come after us? Uh, I have no idea how to do any of that because I am a very loud person. You can always hear me coming and you can always hear me going. And I have tried to control that and don't know how. But... Hold on, hold on. I do want to say, like, just make a straight up declaration. If I was in this situation as described in this story, and I reached the point where I realized that there was, like, no escape... And they're definitely going to kill me. I would burn down the house. Huh. Burning down the house isn't a bad idea, I guess. I mean, there's the chance that you'll be stuck in there with them. But also, they're not specifically stuck in the house. Like, it doesn't seem like they're required to be there. So, I don't know. I actually don't know how that helps you at all, actually. As, I guess is it a distraction? Yeah, I don't know. They're not, they don't, they live in the, the house and whatnot. They're not going to want it to burn down. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if that would work, but, like, I would burn the house down before I would be like, okay, just kill me. Sure. Again, I don't think I'd be good at hiding. I'm a very loud person, no matter what. You know this. You, you always hear me coming and going. Mm. But... A skill I do have is I know how to plant trees and plant stuff. So maybe I could be a gardener and maybe I could just find a shadmock who could be my friend and who likes gardening and they'll protect me and I'll just be Carolyn. I could do that, I guess. So your plan is just to let the actual plot of the story happen? Yeah. I mean, she lives, doesn't she? I guess she does. I don't honestly... Because the book is so limited on showing us any weaknesses for any of these monsters uh, and shows us that they're all ex equally terrifying. I honestly can't think of anything else. Okay, so you would just become a monster gardener. I mean, what's the alternative? Being a monster, I guess? They wouldn't let you be a monster. No, they wouldn't. I'm You're not monster material. I don't think I'd be able to get a government job at all. No, I did too many weird tweets. <laughs> so yeah, gardener. That's... I guess I gotta start learning how to garden. Cool. Okay. 
Hey, um... Uh, don't get mad. But speaking of gardening, and, like, growing things, and, like, food... You know food? You remember food? Everyone's favorite thing, food? Did you eat? I, I guess I have to say yes to this. Uh, we don't have that anymore. We don't have any food. We ran, we ran out of food. Are you kidding me? No. Well, what the fuck are we going to do now? Well, statistically, human body can survive 8 to like 21 days without food or water. Uh, which gives us plenty of time to come up with a plan and apply all the things we've learned over this first season of Horror Boys. What are you talking about? We didn't learn anything. At all. You drew a hand <laughs> Ha 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 ha!